Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. All right. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're so glad you're tuning into this episode. Today we have Shelly Paget, and I'm going to have Shelly introduce herself here in just a minute, but we, we really um, haven't ever met in person. But uh, I met her husband uh, over a year ago. He introduced me to some friends that we have in common. And then we're also in a, a turn lab community together. And I, I saw Shelly, you led us through a couple of uh, uh, meditations and move, movement meditations. And I thought, oh, I, I always try to interview people who are into meditation and yoga because it's a new thing for me. And I'm, I'm trying to learn and grow. I'm a novice. So welcome to Spirituality Adventures, Shelly. Tell us a little bit about um, your work and uh, with the with the nonprofit and what you do. Okay. Um, I live in Minneapolis. And uh, for the last 12 years, I've been running this yoga sanctuary, um, which is a nonprofit holistic yoga studio in South Minneapolis. Um, yoga sanctuaries inside of the church Solomon's Porch that my husband, Doug Paget started about 23 years ago. He just left that three years ago to uh, start and run Vote Common Good. And um, I stayed. So I'm still there at Yoga Sanctuary. I call myself a curator, a curator of love and light, um, which basically means I run the show and my desire is to help people grow themselves in the way that is right for them. So I, I do manage, I'm the director, all of those things, but I really wanted to give honor to um, each person in their journey. Um, the other thing that's unique about Yoga Sanctuary is that um, we really try to make yoga accessible for people. Um, the kind of yoga we teach is holistic. So everybody is welcome in their whole form. And I think that sometimes people, and I would say I fall into this category, we're outside the scope of some of these healing modalities that cost a lot of money. And I really wanted to make um, as much as possible, the prices affordable and to work with people if they're having a difficult time financially, emotionally, mentally, and that would prevent them from paying like kind of a premium price. So there's a lot wrapped up in it. We're a, a you know, public studio, anybody can come and we teach classes, honestly, from preschool, dedicated my backgrounds in child psychology, child development. So I wanted holistic yoga for kids from the very get-go, believing that healing happens not just in our minds, you know, we sit down or whatever, it happens in the whole person and that we need more and more opportunities. So we actually teach from preschoolers all the way up. Last week I had, last week was my birthday and I asked folks to share their name in studio and um, how old they were, if they wanted to, and they could pass. And we had people in class from 31 to 72. Wow. So that is very heartwarming for me to be in a space that you really can come in as you are 
and try to, you know, just be with your breath. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. So let's get a little bit of um, background. By the way, we did, I did an interview with, with Shelly's husband, Doug Paget. I don't know, several months ago. I can't remember the exact time, but you, but if you're listening, you could dial back through if you missed that one and listen, it is, we titled it vote common good with Doug Paget. So anyway, but yeah, so let's start with, let's get a little of your backstory, like where you're born, where you grew up, maybe, maybe your family of origin and your spiritual journey uh, as it relates to your, your family of origin. Sure. Um, I actually was born in Minnesota, but when I was two, my family moved to Arizona and um, I grew up there. I had a mother and a dad. Um, There were four children in our family and I'm the second. Um, We grew up just like in Phoenix and I was there until I was 15. So then I moved to St. Louis for a few years and then my senior year came to Minnesota, which is how I got to Minnesota. And I met Doug my senior year in a mythology class in high school. And we've been together for a very, very long time. Wow. Yeah. It's I'm really grateful. And I hope people do listen back to his, your podcast with him. He is, you know, an inspiration. He is just a really good human being. So I feel lucky that we've partnered together and that, you know, a lot of people diverge on their paths and thankfully our paths have continued to like come together and come together. And we, you know, we, came to things on different paths, but our paths are still really connected. So um, I had four children or four, there were four siblings in my family and I grew up Missouri Synod Lutheran. So some of you know, that's a very conservative Lutheran denomination. What do you know when you're growing up? Nothing um, was confirmed there. How my path shifted is when we got to Minnesota, um, my parents were both in Bible study fellowship. So they got a little bit more into the evangelical world. Um, I ended up meeting Doug and I call him Duke. So if that comes out, he was Duke in high school. That's what I call him. Um, So we met and it was literally um, two weeks after he like converted to Christianity. Like he had a major, major transformation. And as you know, if you know him, he is zealous. So that zealot in him was like, evangelizing to everyone. So we got together and we were on this like Camps Crusade for Christ path. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty deeply rooted in me all through college. And um, we both started working at um, a Baptist church, you know, down the road when we were in college, he was doing youth ministry. I was doing children's ministry. And we continued that through like our early marriage. So we had two kids he was on staff full-time going to seminary. I was on staff part-time and raising our kids and then very evangelically inclined and then really got sick. I had endometriosis and endometriosis is, um, I would say it's like a benign cancer and women who it's only in women. And I'll just say this, you, you know, however you want to share it. Um, but it's pretty significant in that, I was infertile. I had to get a hysterectomy. I had multiple laparoscopies and was pushed into menopause when I was 30. Hmm. You'd already had. We had two kids already had two children. Okay. Okay. And then um, 
around that time, um, my mom was killed in a car accident. Mm. So my mom um, and dad lived up the road. They, they did kind of convert to evangelicalism um, as well. Um, But after my mom's death, there's a lot of threads of like the mother archetype in my life of kind of suffering or pain. Mm. So my mom died. That was super significant. Um, I had to have a hysterectomy that was super significant. Couldn't have any more children. And then we moved, um, we were in Texas for a short period of time and we moved back to Minnesota to start Solomon's porch. And we happened to move into this home, which is an old farmhouse, one of the only homes that we could afford in this particular area. And next door to us was a foster home. Hmm. And so the basis of Solomon's porch was to, um, very paraphrased, you could probably say the verse much more succinctly, but what is true religion to help, uh, to help and support orphans, widows, and poor. Hmm. That's like my paraphrase. And I was like, oh, we're here living next door to this foster home. And we're here to love these kids. And I knew the value of having a background in child development, child psychology. It was like, oh, let's just have them come over and um, we'll be, they'll be here with us and they'll be in the garden and they'll cook with us and all this other stuff. And then it became clear that we started asking, are we supposed to adopt these particular two boys? And we were like, no, you know, we're here to start Solomon's Porch and love, you know, whomever comes into our path. And then I started pondering and asking questions of, you know, in like my spiritual life and also of the county, you know, what happens to these children if, you know, they go into the adoptive system Mm. and more than likely they would be adopted into, you know, a home with, um, with strangers. And that just caused like a whole uproar in my heart. And so Duke and I really talked and prayed about it for a long time. And we're like, I think they're supposed to come over here and be in our family. So we have um, Mashan, who's now 33, Taylor's 32, um, Ruben's 31, and Chico's 29. So four kids, very close in age. And your own biological kids always have, um, you know, like we never know what's going to happen nobody's immune to suffering or to, you know, moving down their path in in different kinds of ways. And I can just say that it is a guarantee if you adopt children who are hurt and who've been deeply wounded and mistreated and have come from fetal alcohol syndrome or trauma and abused, which Ruben and Chico have, um, we invited into our home a whole lot of um, challenge and difficulty. So, that story how old they when, you, when they came into your home how old were they they were six and eight wow okay and Michonne and taylor were nine and ten wow so all through elementary school it yeah. really um it really made a life for me that i didn't know was coming i could only work one day a week because there was so much intensity either at school or having to pick them up or therapy or you know, whatever was going on, it was very, very intense. Um, and I just had to be available. And anyway, it, it's been hard. And in that, um, after we moved back to Minnesota, one of the first things I did was went to a yoga class with, um, Tony Jones's previous wife, Julie. I don't know if you know, Tony Jones, but I'm gonna, uh, he's somebody I'm going to hunt down and <laughs> connect. He's a hunter. 
Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, but I haven't met him yet. No. Yeah. So he's been good friends with us for a long time. So uh, his, his ex-wife took me to a yoga class. And in my first yoga class, I was like, oh, wow, I really feel something here. What's going on? And it was during the time when, you know, in the evangelical world, yoga was evil. You were opening yourself up to the devil, you know, all this stuff. But I felt something and it was real. And I know a whole lot more about what was going on then now. And I've stayed on that path. And so now um, really through being sick and my evangelical church, not um, welcoming holistic uh, Mm -hmm. conversations, wouldn't let me talk about what I was learning at the naturopathic doctor or how amazing it was when I cut the end off of a, um, uh, I'm thinking of a loaf of romaine, but a head of romaine. And it was a beautiful, beautiful design. And I just thought, oh my gosh, God is here, right here in this food. But we never talk about it. We never see the goodness and the um, prevalence of God in nature, in our food. God was relegated to our mind. And if we were lucky, he was invited into our heart, but then compartmentalized. Mm. And so my spiritual world just started opening up in, in like the physical realm. Mm. And I've just been, you know, going since then and have received a ton of healing, um, through natural ways and then just stayed on that yogic path. And now, yeah, I teach yoga teacher training. Um, I lead, you know, lots of workshops and teach at festivals and different things like that Mm. and teach at churches. I love teaching in churches. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I, of course I grew up Southern Baptist, then got into the vineyard movement and, um, in the vineyard, uh, well, I, I had a gal in my church that was a yoga teacher and it wasn't like Christian yoga. It was yoga, yoga, you know, <laughs> you know, cause like they'll, they'll, they'll bash yoga, but then they'll, then they'll steal yoga and then just put a Christian name on it and then just do yoga and call it Christian. And then it's good. Mm-hmm. That's what some do. <laughs> but anyway, but we, I, I asked the lady to teach a yoga class at our church and she did and it people loved it. But, you know, then I had some people in my church that were all up in arms about it. And so then I had to write an article about <laughs> East meets West and goodness and <laughs> mm-hmm. press into good things. <laughs> you know, anyway, uh, you asked me a while ago what one of my dreams was, and I don't think this will ever come to fruition, but after studying, um, quite a bit. I'm not a scholar by any means, but I just have a desire to, for there to be a book out there, like the Bible through a yogic lens. Mm. If we could see the Bible through an Eastern mindset, Mm. through Jesus as somebody who was born, raised in the East, And um, if we could see some of the Bible through like Buddhist practices Mm -hmm. that really are beautifully woven in, or I teach a kind of yoga that's called Tantra and Mm -hmm. Tantra means to weave. And Mm -hmm. it actually consists of not just the weaving, but the, the thing that holds the weaving and allows it to happen. um, So the structure of it. And I think that we're so segmented that we, we don't see the whole thing. And I think the whole thing would really help people to experience, um, a much richer version of Christianity. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. I, 
you know, I've got a lot of theological degrees and doctorate and all that. And, and but I have probably gone through uh, this training I'm doing with Jack Cornfield and Tara Brock. I probably listened to, well, I don't even know how many dozens of, cause I did a six day silent retreat, but there was two uh, Dharma talks every day. And yeah, I've, I've heard it probably 30 Dharma talks or more in the last three months. Mm. And uh, like so far I'm like going, why would anybody have a problem with this? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, it's really beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, even if I put my theological brain on, I wouldn't be arguing with anything I've heard so far, I, you know, and not, I'm not going into it with that kind of lens. I'm going into it as a novice with a beginner mind. Right. But, uh, mm-hmm. but like I heard a talk on forgiveness, a Dharma talk on forgiveness. It was like, I've preached forgiveness for years. And I thought, well, that's, that's as good as any as I've ever given, <laughs> you know, yeah. so good stuff. And it can have just like a little different lens. Yeah. You know, I've, I've done classes um, on sin and how do we think about sin as compared to, you know, not hitting the target or whatever. And for me, some of the teachings have been absolutely transformative in my relating to um, God, the creator, mm-hmm. the universe, other people, if we think about sin as going against our inner self, like mm. the capital S, which I think is the divine. Mm. So if we, not that we're the same as God, but it's the divine within. Mm-hmm. And if we can do, if we do that, then everybody grows in their attunement mm to what is actually happening in me. And then we're not basing our right or wrong behavior on an external force that we need to please, or we're going to get in trouble or we're going to be damned, but we actually are way more attuned to that's actually not right for me right now. Mm. And we have so little sensitivity to our bodies. And then what is actually right for me right now? I could imagine if we were able to enter into dialogues with our children on sex and sexuality from a place of like wholeness Mm. and listening and also like boundaries and stuff too. But, you know, that kind of thing, rather than if you do this, you're, you know, this is going to happen to you. Instead of like, how do you honor yourself and how do you honor another person in everything from your language to your thoughts to intimacy on all levels? That's a different conversation. Yeah. And it doesn't and it doesn't have to be shame based. Mm -mm. And, you know, that's what I realized, you know, in my whole falling apart and and reemerging is that Mm -hmm. like even my sexual ethic that I actually was taught and grew up with and actually tried to hold to was super shame-based, like super shame-based, you know, and broken. Yeah. It doesn't work. You couldn't possibly handle that. So don't do that. Nobody could ever live up to the sexual ethic that I was, that I embraced and tried to live up to myself. But I mean, it was kind of like, well, God made sex. And if you're in a heterosexual marriage, you can do it. But if you're not in heterosexual marriage, you can't do it and you can't think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, so like if you had a sexual thought, well, it was sin, you know, mm-hmm. if you had, you know, like, well, anyway, and then, you know, and then you realize, well, who does that ethic work for? Like pretty much nobody on the whole planet. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And it, mm-hmm. and it creates shame around something that's good. Mm-hmm. And then, it, and then it doesn't allow you to embrace what's good and then find healthy boundaries because you know, what's good. You know, like it's that, the internalizing of your sexuality to where you're, you, you know, it, love it. And then, and then know how to, how to honor others and their sexuality and how to, you know, anyway, I don't want to dive in the sex ethics, but, but yeah, I think, so let's dive into a couple of things like that relate to that. Like why is, you know, so much of evangelicalism and maybe Christianity in the West is in the brain, right? You know, it's a head thing. One of the things that I am trying to learn and open up to and I, I have a monkey brain for sure. So that's a new, you know, I'm learning new language mm-hmm. uh, around things. And, you know, I've always had an overactive racing brain. That's what got me into insomnia. And that's what got me into trying to deal with my insomnia. And that's what got me into Xanax and alcohol. And then that's what, you know, and then that caused me all kinds of problems. So, mm-hmm. um, but I still have this racing brain. And so one of the things that's attracted me to, to an embodied spirituality mindfulness, meditation, centering prayer. There's different, different uh, ways to do this, but has been, um, I can't think my way out of everything. I can't think my way out of, and I, I thought I could, I, I, I've always, you know, thought I could think my way or, but I can't. And then I fell apart and then it's like, okay, well now how do I come back together again or heal or emerge and, an embodied spirituality mm-hmm. that I was always trying to suppress my negative thoughts, my negative emotions. Uh, if I had a bad thought or a negative emotion, I'd want to battle it and win over it and knock it down and beat it up. And, mm-hmm. and then in the end it didn't work. And like, so, and so like sitting even just with myself in like curiosity, openness and self-compassion Mm-hmm. All these things I used to battle mm-hmm. is a whole new thing for me. Mm-hmm. It sounds so basic, maybe. I don't know. But like I, I had an inner critic that beat the crap out of myself over anything negative that I thought was negative, either an emotion or a thought. Mm-hmm. And now I'm trying a whole new approach. Why is that? Why is this approach so important? Talk about the holistic part of like embodied trauma, embodied or, or, or goodness that's embodied or trauma that's embodied, you know, all that kind of, mm-hmm. give me, give me, give me your thoughts on why is this important for Christians who are out there with, with a, with a Bible and they memorize scriptures and that's their spiritual path. Why did, why do people need this? Oh my goodness. That's, that's really, a, really, I know it's too big, but it's really big. Yeah. I can share a couple of thoughts um, based on what you've just said. One Thing that comes to mind is just striving and perfection. Mm. And I'm also in that same vein. And I've wanted to recently just do away with the word perfection. I, I know that there's room for it in, in some places. Um, but I think in the spiritual world, we need to really let that go. And that thankfully for the word that I come to is um, conscious awareness So I love the word conscious right now. So it's in my life, in my practice, in my teaching, I'm talking about conscious breath, conscious um, awareness, where you're doing what you said, paying attention to our thoughts. 
And this concept of conscious movement, conscious stillness, which is different than taking a nap, different than zoning out on your devices or whatever. It's just choosing stillness um, with an intention or simply to rest, like a guided meditation to just like, or it's yoga nidra is super healing. If people want to look that up, it's N-I-D-R-A. Lots of stuff on YouTube. It's really a great healing modality. Um, But that consciousness being present to our thoughts in a way that is befriending and that befriending, which if you're studying with the folks you're, you're studying with, I know you've heard that terminology and a lot of people haven't heard it. And so we end up living this very disconnected, disjointed life because we know the thoughts we have and we, we don't want to say those because we think maybe we're the only one or everybody else is living a much more perfect life on their path of spirituality and, you know, striving and all that stuff. And so consequently, I think it causes a significant amount of harm for us, for our spirits, our energy, and for everyone, because there's such a dishonesty in that there's a lack of um, communication. There's a lack of community because we're not, we're not saying anything about it. We're not talking about it. And um, I think that when we are in an environment where we can welcome the whole of a person, um, the whole of our thoughts, the whole of our bodies, all of the things that are going well or that are um, likable or desired and all of the things that aren't going well, hard, suffering or undesired in us and around us, we're always at odds with those. And those play out in attachment and avoidance. And if somebody were to sit for a day and really pay attention to your thoughts, your thoughts and your actions are primarily driven by what do I want? What's going to bring me pleasure um, or, or, or thought of pleasure or thought of ease? And then what is uncomfortable? What do I want to avoid? And if we look at those dualities and we, we live like that, we're just kind of in deep avoidance or we're in deep attachment. And that again, doesn't lead to like a holistic life because we have to recognize that in each one of us, there are things that we do deeply desire. And we have to ask and question those desires. What, what's at the root of that desire? Is that desire something that's ultimately going to see, serve me and serve humanity? And there's no perfection in it because it might be a simple, simple desire of like, I actually do want that chocolate chip cookie right now. And it's homemade and it's from a friend or whatever. And that's delicious. And I want the pleasure that that brings, or I, you know, we want these pleasurable things, which are wonderful. All those desires are wonderful. We want to, you know, have whatever, I won't go down the sex road, but like, that's another desire to have beautiful things around us. And we also avoid lots of things. So how, in the scope of those, can we have like what you're talking about, this conscious awareness as to what is ruling my life? You know, what is pulling me or pushing me in all these different directions? And if we're not aware of our mind, and the mind is the architect of our lives, then we are actually kind of living with a debilitating architect. So we actually want to get to know our minds, we want to get to know our thought patterns. And the only way to do that is to sit with them to notice them, walk with them, however you're practicing your mindfulness, um, and then to seek um, patterns of change. 
or we're just going to do the same thing and do the same thing and do the same thing because that's the way patterns work. So those are just a few thoughts that also you said it's really basic. It's only basic in the premise, in the practice of it. It is not basic. Right. There is so much to the practice, which I think is where Christianity and um, evangelicalism runs dry and keeps it in our head. Like, oh, because I'm acknowledging something, then, you know, you can change a pattern or whatever. That is not the case. You know, it takes us so long of intentionally changing, consciously changing our behavior in order to actually make a change, unless we've had, you know, something debilitating or whatever, that's pretty compelling to choose a different path. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Talk a little bit about embodied spirituality. Why, why is it important to practice uh, an embodied spirituality versus one that's in our head primarily, but, but you, and you mentioned some of these right now, but I'm, but like the breath work and um, actually, bo- you know, the, bo- the kind of body scans that you do in meditation where you tune into your, your, you tune in your body, you're tuning in your thoughts, you're tuning into your emotions mm-hmm. with compassion, curiosity, and, and openness. Mm-hmm. And why, why is, why, what's, what's that all about? Why is that a, and, and by the way, it's hard <laughs> I did a six day silent retreat. <laughs> I hope there was some movement at that silent retreat. Yeah, there was, but it was like pacing. You were either sitting for 45 minutes or pacing for 45 minutes, like almost all day long. Like they didn't want me to go out. I was up in the mountains. I was at Rod's place out by Ure. Mm-hmm. And I could have walked forever all day long in the woods, but like to just sit me down in a chair. Mm-hmm. And then pace all day. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. We um, I've done some training or trained um, some people that are um, longtime meditators and longtime silent retreaters and all of that. And their meditation practice has significantly changed because of yoga. And mm-hmm. so whether it's yoga or Qigong or some other mindful movement like that, I think that the the practices of meditation will continue to change as they become more embodied. Mm. Um, The goal um, of yoga in the sutras is um, they don't talk about the physical practice. They talk about one pose, which is your steady, easy seat. And everything that we do in yoga is to move the energy, move the body so that we can sit with steadiness and with ease without pain. Mm. And many people cannot sit without pain. Mm. So there's a lot to embodied practices and you were right about the breath. I think breath is centric. And if we think about God breathed, you know, the Holy spirit into and on us as his creation, as humanity, as his, you know, as people and how little attention we pay to our breath. I'm also a certified breath coach and, when we pay attention to our breath, it's literally like inspiration and expiration. And the inhale is filling and rejuvenating, moving, um, bringing that life in and the exhale, letting it go and releasing. So you talk about, you know, detachment and things like that. Like it's all present in the breath. It's also the primary mode for, um, the 
um, the dualities that we feel in our person. So Hatha meditation is the balance of sun and moon, male and female, energized and calming. Hold on a second. There's a weird background noise going on there for a minute. Did you hear that, Matt? Okay. Sorry. That's okay. But it went away. Keep um, I think oh, it could so, have been my husband who was standing over there waving at me and then taking a photo of me. He's going to go to the uh, doctor. All right. All right. Well, maybe. So sun and moon. Sun and moon. So okay. these dualities that are playing out all the time. And, and um, we, our body is the most gross or dense part of ourselves and oftentimes the most neglected. And so we don't pay attention to the body, but the body um, in my awareness and my practice and in the teaching is the pathway to the mind. Um, the breath is the pathway to the spirit or the energy of the body. It's actually called the pranic body is the breath. So when we can do these physical practices and in community, it's amazing because you're moving simultaneously, breathing and moving together, maybe as simple as like inhaling and exhaling. And you feel and you sense like, I can feel it already in my person, like I have some tingling in my body. That's just the enlivening of our spirit, our energy. You can call it whatever you want to. And then that awakens more awareness and more awareness. So if we think about the body as being the most gross physical layer, and in one hand, we don't pay attention to it. And the other hand, we give it way too much attention. And then um, if we move in from there, we have the mind. So then the mind is the next most, you know, um, aware or pervasive part of us. Then we have the breath. Then we have underlying emotions. Then we have a deeper layer of felt sensations inside. And in order to really um, get to know all of these parts of ourselves, we want to start with the body because it is the most, it's the, it's the place where the locomotion happens. And we are so really out of step and out of tune with that, which then if we're kind of ignoring the physical body, then we are not paying attention to what do I actually want or need to eat or, you know, what do my eyes actually benefit from seeing or, you know, relationally and all this stuff. So I really think that the body is the key. And I've learned from people who are um, paralyzed in wheelchairs and have amazing awareness as to energy in their body and that it becomes kind of that doorway or that gateway toward deeper awareness and not so that we become navel gazing, you know, just like in meditation, this is not just about me going like, um, I'm going to, you know, live in my own spiritual bubble and do a form of spiritual bypassing of like what's actually happening in the world. It's a way for me to notice what I need for my sustenance, what's actually going on, what are my troubles or um, sticking points so that I can pay less attention to what I need and be more outward focused. And we could have a whole long discussion about chakras and how the chakras move and what the significance is of that. But we want to begin to move from the heart Mm -hmm. and that's all like getting our needs met and all this other stuff so that we're living more what in past would be called like a heart mind connection, not Mm -hmm. just the mind. It's a heart mind and thought of as like one perceptual organ. Hmm. Okay. Um, People talk, well, people will talk about like wisdom that resides within you and your body uh, that your body can actually teach you. 
um, you can learn by listening to your body, by listening to even your, even your thoughts and most, but by listening to your body, there's actually wisdom. And you know, what's interesting is, you know, in some Christian traditions, someone's like, well, you're, you're, you're a sinner and you know, you're, you mm-hmm. got a vile, crazy heart and you can't trust your body. And mm-hmm. you, know, you just got to get your head in the Bible and start living there. Sit in a corner and read your Bible. That's how you, that's how you, you know, but, have a spiritual practice. Yeah. But it, it like, like you mentioned early on, that if you don't have a, an embodied spirituality, then the flow of, of your own goodness doesn't, and your own, and your own ability to heal doesn't seem to emerge. It, it, mm-hmm. we, we, we get cut off from the healing that is in ourselves, even in the wisdom maybe that's in ourselves because we don't trust ourselves or we have this huge toxic critic, you know, inner critic that's bashing us away, you know, a judge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I can share just a brief story. Um, we, we don't have a ton of time left, so, but you might okay. think about I'll how go quick. Yeah. How can you in the, in that embodied sense? So really yeah. um, I could suggest this amazing book called my grandmother's hands. It's by a local author, Resma Menachem. And he really gives such a great um, synopsis of trauma in the body and how the body is holding that trauma in us and all around us. Um, and then that's what we're carrying into the world. And of course, like Bessel van der Kolk and the body keeps the score and all these other very, very amazing books um, and how it plays out in my world as a teacher trainer. I'll give one quick story. There's a, a woman in our training right now and she was um, sexually abused as a child multiple times over the course of quite a while. So that would be, you know, consistent chronic trauma and, uh, you know, developed an eating disorder and um, really doesn't trust her body and hasn't been able to trust her body. And in the beginning of training, I said similar words as to what you, which is that the body never lies. The body doesn't lie, but through the course of our life and our hurt, and then the way it interweaves with the mind, there is a relationship that becomes really distrusting of the body or tricky like the body's tricking us. And it seems like it wants one thing, but it actually needs something else. Mm. And it's only through the course of time. um, This woman has done tremendous work over these last seven months to the point where she is feeling more whole and more healed and never thought this was possible. And she was so disbelieving in the beginning, she'd roll her eyes and, you know, just like, send me texts after training. Um, That doesn't make any sense. And I can't trust my body, but over time, staying with our body and staying with practices, we do learn to listen and to befriend and to take care of that, you know, like um, maybe like in family systems um, or inner, inner family systems um, therapy, Mm -hmm. all of our parts need to come in and be heard and need to be welcomed. And through that welcoming or that befriending, we can stop to cut off or amputate organs and parts of ourselves and begin to listen and nurture and feed those parts that need to be heard. And through that and this embodied movement, um, then we can sit a little bit more easily with ourselves and not expect anything close to perfection. Mm. We can hold those 
dualities or those opposite energies in yoga, it's called Pradipaksha Bhavana, cultivating the opposite. And we can do that because there are practices to support and sustain um, this whole spiritual life that is within us. Um, when I end a yoga class, I have people bring their hands to heart and have an inner bow here. And this is our seat of humble power, nothing to prove, nothing to hide. And I have people gaze down and with their thumbs at heart center, honor the light, the darkness and all that is within them. And then extend pinky fingers um, forward, seeking to see, to know, and deeply regard the light, um, the darkness, the teacher and the student in all beings. Mm. That's a beautiful, all significant practice. And what if we did that in our homes or out in our communities or with people who are enemies, Mm. you know, it's such a big, profound, difficult, simple practice. Yeah. Yeah. The, the integration of, of the dark, my dark side, (laughs) Uh, like receiving that, listening to it, being open to uh, Parker Palmer wrote a book called let your life speak, which that and a a book by Richard Rohr is kind of what got my faith off the ventilator three three and a half years ago. And then kind of got me journeying into the, Mm -hmm. some of these new practices for me. So, well, we, I could go on for hours about this stuff. As I learn more, I might bring you back again and get, I I was, I just, this, I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around this big world and I'm just decided, well, I'm going to be a student and see what I can learn. So I'd love to come back and do like a guided um, you know, moving meditation, not something that would be um, intimidating for anybody, but something that really everybody could do. They could do it sitting down or they could do it standing up. Yeah. That would thank be you fun. so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. I know you've got a, another thing to, to get to, but uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining us at Spirituality Adventures and thanks everybody for tuning in. How can people, can they find, do you have a website or anything like that? Yeah. And actually we have um, an on-demand library um, on the website. So if anybody's interested in, it's really inexpensive. It's $19 a month and myself and other yoga teachers are on there. Everything from chair yoga to I teach things called one breath, um, one pose and break it down from sitting in a chair to standing up and all those things. And the website is yoga sanctuary, M P L S as in Minneapolis.com. Yoga sanctuary, M P L S.com. And I'm on Instagram as Shelly Paget. I post some, it's not my favorite thing, but I am on there and we, uh, yoga sanctuary also has an Instagram. So I'm, I'm around and I'm on things. Um, but mostly I like people and, and, uh, like kind of, you know, sharing that space, sharing that energy in person. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks everybody for tuning into spirituality adventures. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Take care, Fred. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.